Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. English language poets in University College Cork 1970-1980 is a new book written by Cleona Nirirdain, who is Professor of English at the Sorbonne in Paris, where she's lived since the early 1990s. The book is the most fascinating examination of UCC and Cork at the time and of a collection of poets who wrote and write in English and how that was a remarkable new wave, unrecognised for many years. But before we chatted about the book and the collection of poets like Theo Dorgan, Jerry Murphy, Greg Delante, Thomas McCarthy, Sean Don, Gregory O'Donoghue and Morris Reardon. I asked Cleana what took her to Paris in the first instance. At the time, I was on career break because um, I my initial undergraduate degree is in primary school teaching. I have a B.Ed. from Limerick and I was teaching in Gael Scully Reardoin and Ballon College and going in after school every day into UCC to do my MA. And so I really jumped at the chance to kind of live the dream to go out to France. And after two years, the opportunity came for me to go to Paris and to study at the Sorbonne. And so instead of going home to Ballon-Golic and the Gael School and to my parents in Glanmire, I went to Paris. And um, I, I, I won't say that I haven't been home since, because I think Theo Dorgan said, you never leave Cork, you just live elsewhere. So I think my book is a testimony to the fact that I haven't left, but that I kind of live um, a bilingual, bicultural or tricultural experience uh, because I come from a, a family of Gael Gyori and I was brought up in Glanmire in an Irish-speaking community. So the book really is is a way for me to kind of together both my academic background and also I think the fact that I was from Cork and and from Munster because I think it's very much a book also about the place that UCC occupies as a source of I suppose intellectual stimulation in the Munster heartland and the motto of UCC if I'm correct is where Finbar taught let Munster learn and I do think that the book shows that there is a very strong sense of Munster Literary Identity, um, which in this particular instance is linked to that precise period of time um, in the history of Cork and in the history of UCC. It's quite a concise period of time that you're looking at, like just the decade from 1970 to 1980. And it was around that time I started primary school, funnily enough, with Theo Dorgan's baby sister. So like that period in UCC was obviously before our time. And as kids in primary and secondary school, we'd have been oblivious to the blossoming of this culture down in UCC. But I remember the time when I started the arts programme, maybe about 20 years ago, 
being very much aware that I was covering what was a special moment in theatre studies in the college, for example. Ali Robertson, I remember he was head of the Granary Theatre and you had people like Tom Creed and Donald Gallagher and so on, all creating just extraordinary work. Now also all hugely influential in the arts in Ireland. And we were conscious of there being a wave at the time, which has gone on to create kind of all these ripples ever since. Now, your book would have been launched in the Cork Poetry Festival if that had gone ahead in March this year. And there would have been tremendous meat for discussion in it amongst those who devour poetry. But for people who don't, I suppose, Cleena, or for whom this decade is also before their time, can you maybe explain why that particular decade, 1970 to 1980, was such an impactful one for a wave of poetry in Ireland coming out of Cork. Well, to come back to the initial point you were making about saying you were growing up in Cork and that you went to school with Theo's baby sister, I think I had um, a similar realisation because I wrote my PhD on the poetry of Seamus Heaney and I spent a considerable stretch of time investigating the phenomenon of um, poetry in, in Northern Ireland and what brought it to light. And then I had this conversation in, I think it was 2007, with Terence Brown um, from TCD. And I was telling him that I had finished my PhD and that I was looking for a new subject. And, and he said over lunch at a, an academic conference in, in, in Orléans, oh, well, you know, you should read poetry from the South. You should read Greg Delancey. And so I started there. And then I organized a conference. I got a grant from the University of Oregon, organized a conference about poet translators, poet creators. And Patrick Cotter in the Munster Literature Centre was a huge help because he helped me apply for funding. And he also helped fund bringing a lot of the poets who were in the book over to Paris. So Jerry Murphy came, Eleni Quillenoin, who very generously wrote the preface, came. And as it happened, Greg Delante was a writer in residence in, in the Centre Culturel Yolande, the Irish Cultural Centre. And so from there, I had a sense, because of working on the, the poetry of the Northern poets for such a long time, that you actually had a similar phenomenon in the South and specifically in UCC. And I think that what made it very interesting was the fact that in UCC, you had a phenomenon that was seen all over the country at the same time. In other words, you had the Education Act, Don O'Malley's Education Act, which meant that UCC, which up until the end of the 1960s or up to the mid 60s in any case, had been an extremely small university and had been in general and I'm relying on Johnny Murphy's book for this, a place which was limited to, you know, the well-to-do, the middle classes, the occasional exceptional scholarship student. But the Don O'Malley's Education Act opened the floodgates and that you had a whole generation who were not just the first of their generation to go to secondary school, but were also the first of their generation to go to college. And that coincided with the period of economic wealth in Ireland. Thomas McCarthy and Sean Dunn, who both written memoirs of their childhood, pinpoint this fact very strongly and say, you know, for the first time, people weren't emigrating. There was a sense of wealth. There was a sense of ease. You had the student revolutions all over the world in 1968. And okay, there might have been a bit of a delay, but they also hit Ireland. And there was a sense of carelessness, I think, and a freedom and an absence of worry, because I know that when I was going to university in the 80s, in the mid to late 80s, people were constantly worried about getting a job, getting a degree, 
they were worried about material things in a way that I think that that generation at the beginning of the 1970s, before the first oil crisis, there was a freedom there. And then you also had the remarkable characters who were working in UCC. So you had Sean O'Toole, uh, you had Sean Lucy, you had Sean O'Reardon, Sean O'Reardon. I know they're all Seans uh, and they're all men. But you also had, I know earlier than that, you know, you had a woman in the English de- department called Bridget McCarthy, who was a remarkable pioneering woman. And you had a remarkable woman in the French department who was the head of the French department. But the, the circulation of the poetry world at that stage revolved around these figures. In my book, I call them tutelary figures. And then you had the catalyst also of Sean Lucy um, and other people being responsible for bringing John Montague to Cork. And it was as if everything was there and the things were in place. And Sean O'Toole was already encouraging people to write in Irish. I mean, you had the Inti generation. And I think the other very interesting thing, which, which makes that period special, is that in universities, you always talk about the division between town and gown, the separation between the university as a seat of learning, an ivory tower, and that those people don't circulate within the town. Well, in Cork at that period of time, it wasn't the case. And you had wonderful, uh, a wonderful arts community. I, I myself remember, uh, for example, Charles Lynch. I studied ballet with Aruba A. Coughlin. And um, Charles Lynch was a kind of a, a friendly giant in my childhood because he would come and play the piano in the ballet company. And um, Aruba and Dr. Pettit um, were very far-sighted, and um, you know they organised recitals. Aruba organised for the ballet students to go in, on tours of the art gallery, for instance. And there was also a wonderful woman in the School of Music. I don't know whether you knew her. Elmarie Florence Linehan. Well, Florence Linehan was also extremely visionary, and it was also the time in the School of Music when they were bringing in the Kodai teaching method for music, where the Suzuki was blooming, and where you had a circulation between all of that energy and the energy from theatre, as you pointed out. I mean, this was also the generation of Fifi Wilson, who went on to become Fiona Shaw. And I think for me, the element that I suppose makes me happiest of all is that, okay, this is a book published by an academic publisher, but I also knew that it was a book that would appeal to the interested public. And I think that one of the characteristics of Ireland is poetry is widely read. Poets are national figures. I mean, Brendan Kennelly even sold Toyotas on the television. And so for me, the greatest compliment that I've got is that Two of the people who, who attended college in that time, and I'm sure they won't mind me mentioning them, Isabel Healy, who used to write for the Cork Examiner and who now lives in Berlin, and Jean Lucy, who went to the same school as me, St. Bridget's and the Mardike, and went on to UCC and who now lives in Aberdeen. They both read the book and they said that I transported them back to that time and that they were actually sitting in the grass on the quad while they were reading my book. And I think that's that's the best compliment that I can be paid, you know. Yeah, not just an image of UCC, though, but of Cork at the time, too, because I remember at one place in the book you write that um, at one point almost all the poets you're talking about lived on Wellington Road in various flats and apartments, and it was like some kind of poetic kibbutz or commune of sorts. That's exactly what, I mean, I've discovered an essay that was written by a poet called Vincent O'Sullivan, who had come from the Antipodes, to Cork. And that was exactly what he found the atmosphere to be like. 
a poetry kibbutz. And I suppose because I had the experience of writing about the Northern poets and I was aware of the Belfast group and the the key role that Philip Hopsbaum had had in that, in the kind of landscape or the geography in Northern Ireland, I was convinced there was something similar going on in Cork. And so I set about writing the book to investigate that. Um, and it took a long time and I did a lot of archival work. I plagued the staff uh, in Q-1 and the Boo Library and I interviewed loads of people. So yeah, that particular decade was, of course, before all the major companies like Fords and Dunlops closed and the whole economy went belly up. And I suppose that generation of new academics as such, so in 1970, were in the position of being in college with a thirst for education, but the freedom to almost enjoy just exploring knowledge for its own sake, not just as a means to a job. Whereas nowadays, a university experience is so different because the pressure for professional degrees and so on. Like, do, do you think it's still possible for that kind of generational wave to happen? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, there are a number of factors, as I suggested, there are a number of factors involved. And I think that if you look at the environment in Cork today and in, in Munster as a whole, I would say that there are factors there that can enable a younger generation, and you can see it. I would pinpoint the support of the Munster Literary Centre and all of the stalwart work that's being done there. The fact that you have creative writing classes, that you have festivals, that you have the best poets from all over the world coming to the Poetry Festival in Cork every year. And that then you have that supportive environment in UCC again, where you have the creative writing, which has been embedded in the university now, which was frowned on for such a long period of time. I mean, the fact that Shona Reardoin at the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s was a writer in residence in Irish universities in that time was unheard of because there was this suspicion of creative writing. And those kind of fetters have been thrown aside. And now you have a wonderful poet like Leanne O'Sullivan teaching on staff in the Irish department, you have Alvin Garvey, another wonderful poet. And then within the city, you have those poets that I was talking about in the book. Some of them are still there like Jerry Murphy. And then you have other poets, Tom McCarthy, Patrick Cotter. You also had that whole strain of experimental poetry that is represented by Trevor Joyce. And there was a, a festival of experimental poetry in UCC, but also in the city called Sandai. And you have the links between the poets and the arts. So for example, you have Dereni Griefe, also another wonderful poet, graduate of UCC and she's working on film poems and she's collaborating with people in science. So she has a wonderful poem called Mandible, for example, which explores the connections between Irish and English. And I think that's one of the elements that I see as being very strong in that generation of poets that I examined between 70 and 80. It's their interest in languages and their ability to see Irish as another language not as an implement of propaganda or as a way of waging cultural nationalist wars. I mean, Jerry Murphy, who, who is not readily known as a Gael Gore, has a, a poem in, in Irish, which is I imaha era yamaha go umaha me burha burha burha. And I think that poem is indicative of what those poets were doing. In other words, they're bringing Yamaha and Omaha into the poem, so which are irreverent words, brand names, geographical locales, which are so far flung. And they're rhyming it with the Irish word burha. And so they're saying, 
in my opinion, you know, the Irish language is a strength. It's a possibility. It makes us exotic. It makes us different. Let's appreciate it for its linguistic qualities. And I think that all of that is going on today, that there is that cohabitation between the creative writers, the academics, the musicians, you know, wonderful places like the Triscoll, the art gallery, and the way in which the uh, Mary McCarthy is bringing, you know, poets and artists together again. And so I think it's ripe. And I think you can see the results in all of the wonderful poets who are publishing now. What I also think is very significant is the fact that the educational system, which meant that when I did my Leaving Cert, it was soundings. I don't know what anthology you had, but soundings, they were all men. Most of them were dead. And the only woman in it was Emily Dickinson. If you look at the way in which the Irish educational system has overhauled the curriculum and the central place that contemporary poetry plays in it, and that Irish children know that poetry is a living art, Um, and a living art form, and that it's connected to other art forms. And I also see the the place poetry plays in schools in Ireland, uh, where poetry is something that children see as a joy, whereas in France, poetry is a punishment. Uh, You're given a poem to learn a month, or maybe once a term, and it's seen as uh, something to help you exercise your memory. And the faster you say it, the better it is, and marks are taken off for hesitation as if you were in a just a minute quiz or something like that so there's a love for poetry and a respect for it and an acknowledgement of poetry as I won't say the the true legislators of the world but of the role that poetry and the arts have and I do think you know you link it with today's students so concerned about employment and so focused on stem 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 I, I think the arts have such an important role to play And I think that when we look at this pandemic, certainly we needed the doctors and we needed the scientists and we needed the testing. But for the people who were stuck at home, the thing that got them through was the arts. It was the the music and the the novels they read and the programs that they listened to and the, the films they watched or the live streaming of plays from the Abbey. And so I think that you know, everything, the stars are aligned again in Ireland for this phenomenon that I have identified during that period uh, to happen all over again. Now, the book was to be launched in March at the Cork International Poetry Festival, wasn't it? But of course, that fell victim to the lockdown as well. So at some point, do you see there being a chance for another launch or something, perhaps? I'd love that to happen. And I'd love to get back to Cork because um, I've also published um, an anthology, which is called Jeune Poésie d'Irlande, Les Poètes du Monstre, which is a bilingual anthology of monster poetry stretching over a period broader than this. And at the moment, I'm working on another book, um, which is looking at 100 years of poetry in Munster, Irish, English and experimental. So we're, um, we're hopeful that that will get published within the next year, year and a half. Well, I, as I say, I, I hope when Aer Lingus starts flying again, that I'll be able to go home and that we'll be able to have another launch. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Clean, I'm so glad we had a chance to chat about the book. It's just a fascinating read. I told you I'm not finished yet. I'm kind of in the middle of chapter three, but I love the way that you begin each chapter with an abstract to kind of place the text in context for people because it really guides you along so fluently. Well, I I mean, that's one of the things that I think is very important about the writing that you do as an academic. I mean, it's so easy to hide behind theories. And I think part of the function of an academic should be to make your learning and your results accessible to people. And that was really my aim in this book. I mean, there are theories which underpin the hypothesis that I had, but I, I want to make my work readable and accessible because I think that for ordinary people who have an awareness, you know, who, who, who listen to poetry on the radio, who attend poetry launches in Waterstones, for example, um, that I wanted this to be a book that they could read too and, and not just a book read by three academics who are specialized in that century or whatever. I, I, I feel very strongly that this is something which people should enjoy and should read and um, and should share and talk about. OK, bottom line then, Cleana, what's the story with its publication and distribution now? So it's published by an English academic publisher, Paul Grave Macmillan. And because it's an academic publisher, it's horrendously expensive. And I, um, I'm, I'm really sorry that I didn't find a, you know, a more accessible price. Um, it's also available on as an ebook. But I think the actual physical book is very nice. The cover is lovely, and it's available online from Paul Grave. And John Breen at Waterstones has said that he will stock some copies when Waterstones reopens. To a certain extent, I think that um, the fact that it's published by a very well reputed academic company is also good because it means that it's not a parochial publication. And the other interesting connection with Paul Grave is that Paul Grave published that uh, poetry book called Paul Grave's Golden Treasury, which was an anthology um, that was published at the end of the 19th century and which many people had in their libraries circulating again and again and again. So I like that connection. I like that connection with I suppose, the popularization of poetry and the recognition of poetry as a popular art. And I think that's what poetry continues to be in Ireland. It continues to be 
a popular art. We have a president who writes poetry, who is a published poet. We have the Irish Times, which devotes an awful lot of space to the coverage of poetry. And we also have pioneers like David Marcus, another Cork man, who set up Irish writing and promoted new writers in a very benevolent and and kindly way. So I, I do think that that sets us apart as a nation. We have poems on our passports. I'm not sure that that is true of any other country in the world. So I hope that this book will be read and that it will be in the library and that people can pass it around and talk about it. That was what it was designed for. Because what I'm so aware of myself is that when I was writing a PhD, I didn't look for poets. Um, they were under the radar. Tom McCarthy has a lovely phrase for that. He said that when you were writing poetry in the south of Ireland in the 70s and in the 80s, it was like gardening in the rain because the spotlight was on the northern writers and they were all wonderful writers. And I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at their work. But I do think there's a case to be made for attention to be paid to these writers too. Well, what a pleasure to talk to Cleana Nirirdoin, professor at the Sorbonne Nouvelle University in Paris. The book is entitled English Language Poets in University College Cork, 1970 to 1980, and it's public, and it's published by Palgrave Macmillan. Here's to seeing it on Cork bookshelves and in the library very soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.